Coming at you live from the Do-Rag Dungeon, I'm Dat Boy Coop, back with a bonus episode of the Carolina Kid Podcast Rewired. This episode is brought to you by Bonus Niggledom. Subscribe to the Ratch Intelligence anywhere podcasts are downloaded. Follow on the Rod and Karen Doctrine. Leave a nice five-star review on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, and I'll read it on the show. Also, leave me a voice message through the podcast host site, Anchor, and I'll add it to the show. Um, so, this is a bonus episode, Nick. Surprise, surprise, nigga, we good, nigga. Mm, what, what? You won't you won't expect to me? <laughs> you won't expect to me on a Friday? Well, nigga, you got me on a Friday, bitch. <laughs> so, um, hey, we you might not get an episode Monday, but this is in return. This is just this is just nature of things. Hey, roll with it. Lean with it. Rock with it. <laughs> Nick, we we here. We here, bro. But I'm still sad. I'm still sad, like, cause there's still no justice. For Breonna Taylor, man, this shit is fucking killing me. Like right now, her family is—they went live. They in Kentucky, you know, talking about, "Hey, man, y'all need to release the grand jury transcripts because the grand jury, the grand jury, basically made the decision to not charge the police officers that were involved in killing Breonna Taylor's. Like, and 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 they only charged one officer on wanton endangerment." And when I mean wanton endangerment, I'm talking about in the apartment next to Breonna Taylor and her, uh, her boyfriend, it was a white family with a baby, a husband, wife, and a baby, whatever. And they weren't even shot at. I mean, or they weren't even shot. They were shot at. And the bullet went through there. And they were like, well, we're so sorry that we hit your white home. But the nigga that lived in the place don't get like that. That's how they treating it right now, bro. When I tell you. When I tell you, man, they don't care. They never will. They never have, man. And like I said before, I used to work around law enforcement. And it's weird. I worked I worked around a lot of first responders. And Breonna Taylor was a first responder. She was an EMT. And, you know, um, they see a lot of shit, too, just like the cops do. Only difference is they don't have guns and badges. <laughs> okay, they don't have guns and badges. They have badges, maybe, but they don't have guns. And you never hear any song about or or anything or any refrain at all about fuck the police department. Or, or, or no, not fuck the. I'm sorry, fuck the fire department or fuck the EMT. Like they never say. Fuck the paramedics. They never say that shit. They never say that shit. It's always the police. It's always the police. They always be like, F the police. Every damn time, bro. It's a reason why. It's a reason why. It's always baffling to me. Like, how... How, you know, um, we are never surprised by these outcomes what's actually surprising is maybe at least three when i mean three i'm talking about all of the police officers that were involved be charged for what they did that night and you know i just i'm heartbroken like when i say i'm heartbroken i'm heartbroken brianna taylor was 26 years old I am 28 years old. I live in an apartment too. And um it's not a night that goes by when I think about man, 
the pure horror that they went through that night. Her man lives to tell the story. Brianna doesn't. The cops live to tell their stories that are fucking evil. They get to go back home to their families. Guess who doesn't get to go back home to their man, their family, their, their job, their life? Brianna. Hey, man. This shit is so disheartening to see on ESPN, you know, um, reporter Malika Andrews. God bless you, Malika Andrews, for the work that you do. You know, um, we appreciate you whether you delivering that objective info, you know, during the NBA playoffs in the bubble. Oh, you just speaking from the heart because good God, she broke down. I mean, and she said, like, Brianna was 26. I'm 25. You know, she's like, I'm 25. And I'm like, damn. She's a black woman. You know, just think about that shit. Like, Kentucky. At this point, I'm just calling them Kentucky. Louisville. You know, the nation thought that it was justifiable. The nation at large that's full of hatred, white supremacy, and reckless abandon for people that look like me, for women that look like me, black women. It's already bad enough that us as black men, right? We don't reciprocate a lot of the actions that black women show towards us. We don't reciprocate the supportive nature of what we do, like of, of what it means to be black in America. They support us a thousand percent. We support them like nah, man, about 50. Like it just, it, it's, it's, it's terrible. And they still go out there with their whole heart and support us. Even when the men are like, you know, it, it's weird. It's, it, there's this moment where, you know, I've seen comedians talk about this. It's crazy, but there's moments, right? Where black women are literally trying to talk about the plight and struggle of being a black woman. And when they talk to a black man about it, sometimes black man's like, well, you don't know what a black man has to go through. And I'm like, but bro, 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 think about this. Think about this. Put your masculinity aside, sir. You have male privilege, right? Put that, put, acknowledge that shit. Understand that you are still a man. And you're afforded opportunities as a man over a woman sometimes because of the gender disparities in this country. So think about this. If you catch a cold, they catch the flu. If you think about that with any, any intersectional class in America, that at least 
provide some kind of like, oh, well, okay, I see, I see kind of like, this is even more fucked up than it is for me, for me or for, for them than it is for me. It's like, yeah, like, holy shit. Um, but yeah, like, I, I just, I'm absolutely hurt. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here like, bruh, what the fuck? And what's even worse is like Tory, you know, Tory Lanez. Um, niggas are still listening to Tory Lanez and he dropped a new album and shit. You know, he trying to like just act like nothing ever happened. And I'm like, Tory Lanez, sir, sit the fuck down. If you still support 20, Tor, Tory Lanez in what, 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 what we in? September 2020, you gone. You blocked. B-L-O-C-K-D-T. Blocked. Blocked, okay? Ain't ain't no way. Ain't no way. Ain't no way you can support a um a, a, an abusive individual who who was like I was too drunk or it was like really for no reason. Like he he shot Meg for no reason. Like we we were gonna keep going back to that. We're gonna still keep bringing it up because you know why? That man don't care about black women, and he got caught acting like he don't care about black women. <laughs> Let's be honest here. If you blame shit on the alcohol, you're really blaming it on your truer self. Because when you're drunk, the real you comes out. There's no lies in there, okay? What you really want to do and what you really think about is in that, okay? So let's stop all that shit. I blame it on the alcohol. No, 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 no. You you, you, you ain't shit. Hey, I remember I've had, I've had exes, right? They would tell me the nastiest shit when they drunk. I'm like, oh, so they want to fuck. Okay, I feel it. But it, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and by the way, if you're a responsible gentleman of any sort, you do not t- partake in anti sexual activity when a woman is drunk. Just want to throw that out there. Don't do that. You make sure she is able to go to sleep and sleep off that drunkenness. Make sure she don't vomit in her sleep because that's what a gentleman does. Anyway, moving on. That was sidebar. M- moving on. <laughs> Kamala Harris wearing Tim's is a whole fucking vibe, bro. Like I'm, I'm just telling. Like Kamala Harris. That shit out of all this bullshit going on. Kamala Harris wearing Tim's made me fucking happy. Like that shit made me so happy. I'm like, y'all, y'all niggas forgot that Kamala Harris is a is a, is an AKA from Oakland. They went to Howard. <laughs> she's from Oakland. <laughs> she's from Oakland. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, bruh, she went to Howard. Okay. And um, she AKA. And um, she's running for vice president. <laughs> like, it's just shit. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to me. And if you don't vote, that's on you, nigga. That's on you. That's still going to be on you. That's going to be on you 10 years from now. That's going to be on you a million years from now. And you'll be like, damn, I fucked up the world. Yep, you sure did. You fucked up the world because you didn't care. Anyway, moving on. Lupe Fiasco's claiming that he's a better lyricist than Kendrick Lamar. Let me, let me, okay, all right, all right. This is a decent argument, but it's, it, it still don't hold no weight for me. Here's the thing. He said lyricist. Okay, yes, lyricism. I didn't even listen to Tessuel in youth, to be honest with you. But I've heard that the lyricism on there is phenomenal, right? Given the controversial nature of Lupe Fiasco as a person, I just was like, nah, I, I, I'm not fucking with Lupe. But because <laughs> like Food and Liquor 2 is absolutely like the, the, the first of all, when you make a sequel 
to an album. It's gonna be bad. It's it's always gonna be bad. And and, and then and then on top of that, um, you know, nigga just that lasers release was absolutely a nightmare. And that was like a moment where niggas was like, wait. Is this really what you wanted to put out? Like this shitty album, and they blame it on the record company. But it was really like Lupe just being like, "Hey, I'm gonna release a shitty album. Can you help me release a shitty album so I can get out my record deal?" And it just it was, it was just like a really antiquated kind of like situation. But let's be honest. If you look at Kendrick's discography, you know, because when he says lyricist, I'm thinking of it in the tense of really just as a whole rapper. Lyrically, yes, Lupe has some moments, but Kendrick as a storyteller, Kendrick is an album, an album maker, like Kendrick as a cohesive being. Okay, not just the albums being cohesive; he's just a cohesive mind. Um, like this nigga has—he's not perfect, you know what I'm saying? But Lupe got problems, like big gaping holes. You know, just like whoa. I know we're not perfect, bro, but Kendrick. Kendrick, Kendrick as a album maker and, and as, as, as an entire artist is miles better than Lupe Fiasco. Let's, let's not get it twisted, though. Food and Liquor and The Cool are classic albums um, by Lupe. But, nigga, making these claims in 2020, pff, get the fuck. <laughs> Just get the fuck. Anyway, um, so I got a quick story for y'all because it's a bonus episode, man. Got to go the fuck off. So, um... About a year ago, um, I returned back, you know, from D.C., um, you know, finally stayed home. You know, I was like, I'm moving back to North Carolina because I'm tired as fuck shit, right? <clears throat> and um, we went to church one day, and, um, you know, it was it was a very emotional service, right? <clears throat> and um, there's this altar call, you know, because... You know, we're like, well, there's this whole family coming up to the altar call and nobody else. And this kid is crying. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I went back to like, wait a minute. You know, preacher was kind of talking about like, oh, yeah. Like there was this kid that shot another kid um, in Winston-Salem. Mind you that, you know, um, it didn't connect for me at first because the church that we went to, um, we still kind of go to is in Burlington, North Carolina, which is about uh, about almost an hour away. Um, so it didn't connect for me at first, but then it, we came to the realization, oh my gosh, that kid is the killer and his family is up there crying because they're, they're you know, they're like, man, what this kid about to go through is about to be hell, okay? I think he was 16 and he killed um, somebody who may have been a little older. Um, <clears throat> but... What's crazy is he looked like he came from like an upper middle class background, you know, nice clothes. Mom and daddy looked like they got themselves together. You know, he got he came from a, a full family. It seemed like they had a lot of love. I don't know. But it was just really wild to see that like, hey man, anybody kid almost looked like me. I ain't gonna lie. But he looked like I was like, man, this nigga killed somebody? Bro. This the nigga I saw on the news, and then, I, I, and then literally the next like few hours, we sit here watching the news, and we're like, "Oh my God, that's him! That's that nigga! That's the nigga that killed the other kid in Winston Salem." And I was like, "Damn!" But here's the thing: 
it's one thing when you grew up knowing and you knew killers, but it's funny when you find out that, oh my gosh, that nigga was the killer, and then you see the nigga on the news, like, on the same day. You know, it's, it's wild. But, hey, you know, we can, hey, y'all niggas can start talking about black on black crime and shit, but that ain't what I'm trying to do today, okay? Okay, um, that ain't what I'm trying to do today. I'm just like, that's another issue. We can focus on multiple issues, but right now, this year, we need to get that. that, that. Can we at least get the police off our ass? <laughs> you know, you should be like, can I just get the police off my ass? But, yeah, that's just like a wild story to me, man. Like, I'm sitting here in church. I'm like, that nigga did that shit. <laughs> that nigga did that. That's the nigga. That, that's the nigga? That's the nigga. And then, you know, he, he fresh as shit. He got a chain on and shit. He's like, at church? I was like, oh, shit. These niggas don't ever go to church. That's probably what it was. I'm just, you know, I'm just being judgmental in church. You know, niggas be judgmental in church. That's church folk anyway. By the way, I don't really go to church like that. I'm just being real. Um, I, I do, I do, I do uh, keep myself with the law, though. You know, uh, uh, not as close as I should be, but um, you know, I, I have my questions. Anyway, um, let's move on. So, um, Dr. Dre's estranged wife, Nicole Young, could face several, several several severe criminal charges after committing grand theft stealing nearly four hundred thousand dollars from business now this is the same article that i kind of read is it's, it's the same event but it's a development in that case so let me go to um the website here is at allaboutlaughs.com which is like a comedy site i don't like that they did that but anyway it seems as if the divorce is going to get significantly worse before it gets better as they are now were words like grand theft being thrown around dr dre's wife nicole young filed for divorce from the chronic rapper and producer while their kids are grown and moved on it seems as if the pair's issues are still lingering and coming into the light Sheesh. Recently, the pair were in the press release because, <clears throat> or in the press because, it was alleged that the prenuptial agreement may be null and void, a fact which would com complicate Dr. Dre's case extensively. I was extremely reluctant, resistant, and afraid to sign the agreement and felt backed into the corner. Given the extraordinary pressure and intimidation by Andre, I was left with no option but to hire a lawyer, of course. <laughs> With the help of Andre's team of professionals and unwillingly signed the agreement very shortly before our marriage, she previously said. She also claims that Dr. Dre tore it up a few years later in their relationship to make it null and void. Yeah, I don't know about this. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I don't know. I don't know. But, she, hey, remember that shit I was talking about last week where she stole, like, she wrote this. It's, it's literally a picture of the check. It's a picture of the check. <laughs> $350,000 that she wrote a check to her cell phone and cleaned the bank account out. Like, it, it just, it, it's gonna get ugly because now she's facing charges and it, it's, hey, bro. The fact that she facing charges for this shit says, like, Beretta did that shit. <laughs> Beretta did that shit. Ah, uh, it's, it's wild. Like I said, hey, I'm gonna I'm have updates on this damn marriage being, or divorce, okay? Because, this a ugly one. This one uglier than Freddy Krueger. Okay, this one uglier than Bill Duke. Let me stop. Let me <laughs> let, let me stop. Let me let me stop. <laughs> oh shit. But anyway, um, yeah, like it, it just 
it, it just has lingering effects that will keep going and meandering and then we, we will we might have to make this just a whole segment just be like hey this week in the dr dre I'm gonna just start calling it the Young Files shit. <laughs> that sounds terrible, doesn't it? <laughs> the Young Papers. The Young Papers. Signing them papers. I'm gonna start calling it Signing them papers. Papers. <laughs> signing them papers. In this week's segment of Signing them papers. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> signing them papers. <laughs> Every time somebody get divorced, or even just this divorce right here, I'm just. It's gonna be Signing them papers from now on. Shit, fuck it. Fuck it. We in here. So a pair of Republican NC State Board of Elections members resigned. Why do you ask? Well, let's go into the article from WRAL. You know, the local, the local news. This is very close to home. State Board of Elections. All right. State Board of Elections. Only two Republicans resign after absentee ballot lawsuit settlement drops. <laughs> what you say? Um, <laughs> what you say? So, um, Rod, North Carolina. A pair of state board of elections members resigned Wednesday, less than six weeks before presidential election, complaining of the details in the lawsuit settlement that may rewrite absentee voting rules in the weeks ahead. Ken Raymond and David Black were the only two Republican members on a board that had been split three to two with Democrats in control. Notice of their resignations went out shortly after 10 p.m. In his resignation letter, Raymond said Attorney General Josh Stein's office kept him in the dark on the key details tied to a lawsuit the board voted unanimously to empower the board's counsel to settle last week. Details of that settlement proposal came out Tuesday. It is impossible to have true bipartisanship when both parties of the political aisle don't have the important and vital information <laughs> to make the right decisions. It's funny, says that a Republican. Anyway, <laughs> okay, Raymond said in his letter. In a statement Thursday morning, Stein called the resignations political theater at its most destructive. <laughs> y'all, nigga, y'all niggas just got caught. Okay, Raleigh, had, Raleigh North Carolina um, has some of the most corrupt um voting like very corrupt voting um uh voting board uh or voting voting uh what, what would you call it like what, what would i call it I, w- I would call it um uh state board of elections yes this is it forgive me forgive me anyway um yeah yeah i don't know so it says the republican party needs to start respecting democracy instead of undermining it he says <laughs> shit I mean, that's the Republicans. Anyway, Republican Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest, meanwhile, fired off a letter to U.S. Attorney General William Barr asking for a federal investigation into the collusive attack on the integrity of North Carolina's elections. I mean, they've been fucking corrupt. But, oh, now, since Democrats are, like, overruling you now, you're like, um, yeah, so we need to, like, launch an investigation. <laughs> we need to launch an investigation because I feel like, oh, we, 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 it, this is unjust. But if it was mostly Republican, like, nah, I'm fine with it. Like, you wouldn't hear a peep. They would still have their jobs. I'm just telling you, they some fuck-ass motherfuckers. The fact that an executive agency would dare to enter into an agreement that attempts to make substantial changes to our election law less than six weeks before the election raises serious concerns about the motives of all involved. It raises serious legal concerns for us, wrote. <laughs> okay, so now you're actually now. Oh, now you're worried, Dan. Fuck Dan Forrest. I ain't voting for his ass. Fuck his whole asshole. Yeah, yeah. Fuck you. 
I hope you I hope you lose. Because I ain't voting for your ass. Fuck you. State board chairman Damon Sircosta said in his own statement Wednesday <clears throat> that the accusations raised by the two GOP members weren't true. In a nearly three-hour meeting in extensive briefings prior to the meeting, all board meetings were provided with merits, both pro and con, selling of these lawsuits, Sircosta said. Board spokesman of Patrick Gannon also addressed the complaints in a statement announcing two resignations. The legal agency, the agency's legal staff, who are civil servants, <laughs> I'm dying, provide the thorough legal memos to the pro, to the board prior to every board <laughs> meeting and and answer any questions board members have about the matters that come beforehand. He said, <laughs> "Don't it sound like the sizzle? Like I had to read it in sizzle in sizzle voice, you know." Um, <laughs> Not scissor me, schism, racism. <laughs> In his letter of resignation, Black did not accuse the Attorney General's office of withholding information, but he said he did not understand at least one key element of the settlement proposal. How would it change the cure process of correcting and accepting mail and absentee ballots that arrive without witness signature? Ah, these motherfuckers. Anyway, anyway, y'all motherfuckers keep pissing me off. I'm just gonna be sitting here like good resign give me two more democrats <laughs> give me two more democrats on the voting board fuck it vote fuck it <laughs> fuck it all right so <clears throat> you always got to say the best for last because the fucker is always in his best form so in more coon nigga news <laughs> Jason Whitlock's sexism rears its ugly head again. Let me open this um this 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 article from Alex Flanagan's website. So, uh, I think you might know who Alex Flanagan is, but let's just let's just go over some real quick. Okay, so who is Alex Flanagan? Mm, okay, Alex Flanagan is a working mom, a wife, sports broadcaster, daughter of a marine, and a cattle rancher. I, that that's the tagline in her like website but i was fine again we know her from like fox news and shit okay fox sports sorry not fox news fox sports fox sports still and what's funny is fox sports some of them motherfuckers still got some of them weird mentalities i'm like i don't know if i can fuck with y'all either i don't fuck with none of them really like none of them but let's carry on shall we jason whitlock's sexist shtick is shocking but all too familiar um, at the peak of my career, Jason Whitlock tried to discredit me based on gender and physical appearance. Jason Whitlock's misogynistic comments regarding ESPN's Maria Taylor and Katie Nolan made me hot in the face. Not only because of the abusive, cruel, and divisive nature of his words, but it reminded me of the time I was a target of Whitlock's sexist shtick. Shtick. I, I, when I say shtick, it just makes me think of like that dude who who, who showed up at that old ass crusty nigga that showed up at um Amber Rose's slut walk, and he's like, "Are you a slut?" <laughs> like the way that motherfucker say slut is gross. It's like, oh, you can see like how grimy and brownish his spit could be from just hearing that. He's like, slut. <laughs> That's that's how you know he an ancient human being. But anyway, um, 
Whew, it has been more than nine years since I found myself in the center of Jason Whitlock's perpetual, quote unquote, attractive woman only have a job based on their looks narrative. <sighs> Shit. Whitlock's mean-spirited attempt to discredit my reporting skills based on my physical appearance began during the peak of my career on January 8th, 2011. Oh, damn. I had finished covering the sidelines of the NFC wildcard game between the Seattle Seahawks and the New Orleans Saints for NBC. The game had been particularly chaotic as it included one of the most epic plays in NFL postseason history. In the fourth quarter, Seahawks running back Marshawn Lynch broke off a 67-yard run dubbed famously Beastquake because the reaction in the stadium to the touchdown was so loud that it set off a local seismometer. <laughs> Iconic, right? Seattle won, but the game came down to the wire. And in the end, there was a confusion in our television production truck whether we would have enough time for the post-game interview before signing off and sending it back to the headquarters in NBC in New York. <clears throat> the producer that day was Rob Hyland. He was in the chair for his first time in the NFL game. With two wildcard games on the same weekend, NBC pulled the Notre Dame broadcast crew, which Rob and I were part of, along with Tom Hammond and Mike Mayock, to cover its Sunday wildcard game. Mike and I reportedly reported on the NFL regularly since we both worked for the NFL Network at any time. Um, by now, I had been a sideline reporter for a decade. Um, the obvious on-field interview at the end of the game would have been with Marshawn Lynch. But I knew Lynch would refuse any post-game interview. Because that nigga don't talk to nobody. <laughs> that nigga like, I'm all about that action, boss. <laughs> He's like, he, he, he don't give a fuck. He's like, I'm just shit, shit. I'm just cooling. <laughs> He's straight from Oakland is fuck, bro. Oakland is fuck. I shit, I'm just cooling. <laughs> like, I shit, what happening? <laughs> like, he don't give a fuck. But I knew Lynch refused the post-game interview. He didn't, he did not do them. Anyone who covered the NFL knew so. I went after the second best option, Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll. NBC Sports chairman Dick Ebersol was in the control room at 30 Rockefeller Plaza in New York. Um, Ebersol directed Rob and everyone else inside the TV truck in Seattle to get an interview quickly so we could get off the air in time and avoid stepping on any of the NBC programming. <clears throat> as soon as the game ended, I took off after uh, Carroll and took off after Carroll and grabbed his elbow and arms, trying to get his attention as he bounced around the field, hugging and congratulating one another after after the, the, the successful game. You know, um, I practiced, or I practically had to, what the fuck? I practically had to tackle the head coach, and when I finally got his attention and asked him a few seconds, or asked him a few questions on live TV, I couldn't hear a thing he said. During my interview with Rob, <clears throat> Balancing the clock and communications with New York, I was screaming into my ear about timing and traffic. I still got through the interview without the audience knowing all hell was breaking loose in my ear, and we tossed back to New York on time. Now, let me tell you something right now. That shit sound like the hardest shit of all time. We don't really hear like the process. If you're on the field, you don't hear nothing your damn self unless you got like an earpiece in. You know, you just hope you don't say nothing stupid. You know, <laughs> you know. But but it's just like, hey, bro, that shit sounds hella fucking taxing. I could not even imagine like that. Like I I couldn't be a journalist. I could I could not be a journalist. This shit is wild. I never ever leaving the game felt like there aren't a million things I could have done better. 
but I felt decent about that day's work. I would hear from Rob soon enough with his feedback on how I could improve, and I'd give him my suggestions on how we could do better as a producer by not talking in my ear so intensely during an interview, but for now, it was time to head home. I just cleared TSA, Seattle-Tacoma National Airport, or International Airport, when my Twitter notifications started lighting up in my phone. Something was spreading on social media that had to do with me. I clicked open the notification with one hand as I pulled my suitcase with the other and saw these two tweets by Jason Whitlock, who worked for Fox Sports at the time. Here we go. Alex Flanagan has no clue what she just watched. NBC knows that. They pay a producer to explain to her. Producer should be fired, period. This motherfucker is absolutely a cancer. Anyway, um, <clears throat> fire Alex Flanagan's sideline producer. Sideline Barbie didn't ask Hasselbeck or Carol or the whole team on how going downfield to block on hit and run. I'm like, really? R- really? R- really, sir? Hey, that shit was chaotic, bro. Just to get an interview sounds like hell, okay? But going back to Alex, she said, not only have I ever had a producer feed me a question, Most of my career, I didn't have a sideline producer. In the circumstance, the producer was talking into my ear, but not about the interview, which required some next-level multitasking on my part. I looked at my phone in disbelief. I had been told on the road for over a week. I spent previously, or I spent spent the previous Sunday in Chicago reporting the football night in America and then flew to L.A., to host the NFL Network's flagship show, Total Access, on Monday and Tuesday. On Wednesday, I traveled to Seattle to attend team practices and production meetings and prepare for the wildcard game that Sunday. It had been a long week, marked with a big finish line for me. The end of my NBC football season. I had worked my butt off. And it, it gets wild, bro. It, it, it gets wild. Like, it gets even wilder. So, Right now, like, bear with me, because this one, this shit, threw me for a motherfucking loop. All right, so, standing in the airport now, I wondered if this Twitter bully had any insight, (laughs) Twitter bully, had any insight into the amount of time I spent preparing my sideline job. He didn't know I painstakingly thought through the way I worded every single question I asked. How degrading it seemed to work hard while balancing the excruciating guilt I felt spending the time away from three-year-old son and five and seven-year-old daughters, only to be publicly compared to, to a plastic doll. I knew Jason Whitlock's name, but didn't know how much or didn't know much about his persona. Oh, 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 oh bitch. Oh, oh, oh bitch. <laughs> you, you in for a loopity-doop. <laughs> Not even for a dude, you in for a loopity doop because that motherfucker is sexist and racist to his own people. So <laughs> he like the coon. He he not even like a paid coon. He might be a paid coon. You know he coon for play. He coon for he coon for a, a, a boon or two. You know you feel. <clears throat> I'm gonna start saying that you coon for a boon, but <laughs> you coon for a boon. Um. Anyway, I knew Jason Whitlock's name, but I didn't know much about his persona at the time. I fired back. Something I hope sounded seriously and witty at Jason Whitlock or Whitlock Jason, whatever the fuck his name is. I don't follow that nigga. Anyway, no problem. If you don't, if you don't care for my <clears throat> questions, oh yeah, I'm trying to read this shit. It don't make sense. I was like, wait, what the fuck? 
Okay, no problem if you don't care for my questions, but no, I'm not even, or I'm not ever fed them. Is it because I'm a girl, you assume? They come from my male counterpart? P.S. Is the Barbie comment a compliment? Because as my age, you take it as one. Oh, weird. All right, Twitter responded, and people started sharing and weighing in on their thoughts. Whitlock got more Cavalier. Of course, because Whitlock is Whitlock. You are attractive for any age. I like that you are a real and not offended. What? By the sideline Barbie comment. I was fuming, but what could I do? A few people texted me, don't let that guy get under your skin. And what a jerk. No one publicly got my back. That was it. Until the next year, he did it again. Somebody. That's the problem with the in sports. Women who are broadcasters in sports, they got it the hardest, man. Because it's a male-dominated set of, of, of leagues that they typically cover. More specifically, like the NFL. And, and the NBA, you know, it's, it's much more inclusive. But the NFL got problems, bro. So, no sooner. <clears throat> so, I'm sorry. Um. Until that next year, he did it again. No sooner I had finished the wild card game between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Houston Texans that Jason Whitlock tweeted this. Talk to me about why someone at NBC slash NFL Network won't help Alex Flanagan with post-game questions. I blame her producers. She needs help. Job is to look, uh, job is to look good. Wait, what? I, I was about to say, I was like, the way I'm reading this, I'm like, no, he, can't. he, he couldn't have said that. No, he said that. Job is to look good. Wow, bro, bro, bro. And it keeps going and going. I'm, bro, I'm, I don't want to make this shit too long, but man, man, Jason Whitlock is not only the most sexist human being of all time. He's a, he is literal trash. This motherfucker look like, go get a picture of Uncle Ruckus and go get a picture of Jason Whitlock. Tell me they ain't twins. Anyway. <laughs> Oh, on that note, um, you know, as always, you can go to the Blavik link, shopblavik.com, you know, buy yourself a do-rag, buy your bae a do-rag, buy your girl a do-rag, buy you more than just do-rags, you know, support a black business. And as always, thank you. <laughs>